Well, good morning and happy Mother's Day to all the women that are in this room. Um, I just want to start out by saying, you know, at New Hope, we celebrate this day. And what we celebrate is the fact that as a woman, you carry influence. So whether you have natural children or whether you are discipling and mentoring and you have spiritual children, today we celebrate the fact that you have influence, right? And I love I love God and I love that God, no, he, no one celebrates and Powers women more than God Himself, and so we're so glad that you're here today. Um, well, my name is Jessica. I have it's such an honor and a privilege to be with you this morning and be able to bring the word to you. I, I believe that I have a message for you, and I'm just really excited about that. But there are three women that I really want to honor this morning before we we go any further. And I am surrounded by incredible women in my life and incredible moms. But there are three women, and I could I could do it to a lot of people that I just want to just to celebrate today. And first of all, Sister Bowen. I know that she can't be here, Miss Faye, and she's recuperating, but I'm so thankful for her and Pastor Bowen's leadership in this house. They have been here for 44 years, and I think what they have taught me the most is what it looks like to be faithful, what God's called you to, and I know that I'm standing on the shoulders of them, and I'm so grateful for their legacy. Um, I also wanted to just honor Joy. She's sitting in the front seat, Joy Summers. Um, you know, this year we'll actually celebrate um, an anniversary, and <laughs> that anniversary is about 10 years ago, I was um, working in the youth ministry, and I knew that I was going to be transitioning out, and I knew that I needed to be connected, and so I had visited Joy's small group a couple of times, and I decided to ask her out to lunch, and so we went to Olive Garden, and over unlimited soup, salad, and breadsticks, because why wouldn't you? I uh, looked at her, and I was like, listen, I'm about to leave youth ministry, and I know that I need to be plugged in, so what I'm telling you is is that I'm going to go to your small group, and you're going to pour into me for the rest of my life. And she, she did that right there, and she just kind of looked at me, but, you know, 10 years going, I'm so thankful for her. No one has taught me more about what it looks like, that's right, to love God. Um, she has so much wisdom and discernment, and I'm so thankful for her. And then, of course... I want to celebrate my mom. I see her. She's sitting in the back right there, and I'm just so thankful for her. I'm so thankful for my mom because I feel like what she's taught me the most in life is that there is nothing like a mother's love. It is very selfless, and uh, my mom has shown me that time and time again. And it's funny because, you know, they say whenever you come up here that you need to tell a story about yourself. And so I was thinking how I could honor my mom and, you know, tell a story about how awesome she is and how she's managed to keep me alive and all that good stuff. And so I was, I was thinking about it. And to be quite honest, most of the stories that I have from being a child, um, they're, I, they're not great because I was just, if I'm honest, I was just a bad kid. And it's funny because when I talked to my mom about it, she always laughs and she was like, well, you were just mischievous, which is basically, you know, you were bad. And, you know, as a mom and as you've grown older, I feel like God kind of makes you forget as a mom how bad your kids were and the older they get so you love them more. And I feel like that's kind of what's happened with my mom. But one story I kept thinking about was, um, you know, I am a kid from the 90s. So I was born in the late 80s, but I grew up in the 90s. And you know, it's funny because when you're around other 90s kids, and if you are a 90s kid, you'll get this. It's like you're meeting some of your own. And every time I, I remember specifically, I was with a group of friends, and um, we were talking about growing up in the 90s and what it was like. We were talking about the toys we played with and the TV shows we watched. And I kind of was like, yeah, and what about those leashes we used to wear? And they were like, oh, what? And I was like, well, you didn't, well, you didn't do that? And so... Um, it's at this point, because you know that I was a bad kid, um, my mom 
because let's just be honest, I was very stubborn. I was very um, a, a free spirit. I loved people, and I know that's very hard for you to believe right now. And um, my mom, she would use, she used to tell me, "Hey, we're gonna go to the store, but before we go, you're gonna put on your bracelet, and we're gonna go out." Okay, here's the deal. When that bracelet is attached to another bracelet and there's a string in between, that is a leash, okay? And here's the deal. I am not bashing you moms that put your kid on a leash. And honestly, the more I'm around smaller kids, I feel like probably more of them should be. Um, but nevertheless, we I wore a leash. And I would to say, I, I want to make this statement here. And I actually, I have a photo that I want to show you. And hold, hold that photo for just one second. Because I wanted to find a photo of me in a leash. Funny enough that those pictures don't exist. And so I scoured the internet. And so I'm going to throw this up here because I need you to have a visual of what it was like for me. Now listen, that was not me, but it could have been, okay? That's what this situation was. And I will say now that, you know, now parents, they have little backpack harnesses, right? Now kids are like, put on your little monkey. Let's put on your alligator. Well, I wore a leash, okay? And so my mom was getting ready to take me. We were going to go Easter dress shopping. That's a big deal. If you're a girl, you understand that. And so my mom took me to Montgomery Ward. How many of y'all remember Montgomery Ward and Regency Mall? Yes. It was the place of dreams. And so I was very excited. And she was like, you're going to have to get in the car and put on your leash. And I was like, OK, done. <laughs> so we go to Montgomery Ward. And we're looking for dresses. And my mom, at this point, she's super smart because she knows that I don't really have to watch her at this point. She's on her little leash. And so all I need to do is just tug. And if there's resistance, I know she's there. And so she's shopping and she's shopping and several minutes goes by and she thinks to herself, it's way too quiet. And so she turns around to find me and I have taken my leash off and I have put it around a belt, belt rack and I am nowhere to be found. Now, if you're a mom, you understand the sheer panic that arises when you cannot find. And I had to have been about four, your four-year-old. And so she's, you know, calling the security guards. They've shut down Montgomery Ward. All the security guards are watching. You can hear over the intercom what we were looking for four-year-old she has blonde hair and I was nowhere to be found and my mom at this point she's she's got panic right she can't find her kid and so she you know she takes a moment she just prays and she's like Lord help me find her and she said all of a sudden I could hear giggling and she was like, so I, I, I followed the giggling. And back then at Montgomery Wards, how many of you guys remember the round clothing racks? They were round in nature. And she said she pushed back the clothes, and there I was. I was just sitting there, and I was watching everybody come and look for me because I just thought it was fun. So thank you, Mom, for keeping me alive. And I appreciate the leash. Honestly, at this point, I can now say that. But you moms, you are heroes because that's what you do. And it's very interesting because I was having lunch with a friend not too long ago, and she has a two-year-old, and we were sitting there she was very engaged in conversation with me and I mean very intense and I was looking at her and you know we were having this conversation all of a sudden her her little boy starts coughing when we're all eating and I noticed that she takes her hand and cups it and puts it right under his mouth and at this point I'm freaking out because I do not have kids and I have a horrible gag reflex and I'm like looking at her and I cannot pay attention to what she's saying so I finally look at her I'm like I'm so I'm so sorry what are what are you doing and he said she goes oh no big deal. Sometimes when he coughs like this, he throws up. And I'm like, uh, no, 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 we're going to have to know what this situation is. And let me just say that you are my heroes because you just put your hand out to catch vomit. And that is, that's actually unreal. Yeah.
Okay, so I'm so excited to be with you here this morning. You know, as Pastor Bowen mentioned, you know, today we're going to be talking about the God who sees. And that video kind of, you know, helps me come up here and kind of gives you an idea of where we're going. And um, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 16. That's where we're going to be reading from. But before we read, I just kind of want to give you some context about what we're about to enter into. And so we are in Genesis, which is the very first book of the Bible. And we're in chapter 16, which is pretty close to the front. Um, at this point, uh, I, many of you maybe have heard the story of a few chapters back. There's Noah and the ark, right? And there's sin in the world. And God finds favor with Noah. And so he tells him to build an ark. And so Noah does. And his family gets on it. And the earth is destroyed. But Noah and his family, they're saved. And from Noah, Noah has sons. And those sons have family members. And then before you know it, we find ourselves and we're meeting Abram and Sarai. Now, you've probably heard their names, and if you have, you've probably heard of Abraham and Sarah. But when we see them in this story, they're not quite Abraham and Sarah yet. God hasn't changed their names. So Abram comes from the line of Noah, and here we find him. And in a few chapters before, God calls Abram, and he says to him, listen, you're going to leave your father's household, take your wife and everything you own, and I'm going to show you a place where I'm going to send you. So he leaves everything he has, and he heads off, and he settles in the land, and and when he does, there's some famine. So he goes down to Egypt for a time, and then he comes back, and he settles into Canaan. And in Canaan, God calls Abram, and he gives him a promise, and he tells him, Abram, you're, you're older. He was 75. You're old, but I'm going to give you a son. Your wife is going to have a son, and not only that, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. So God makes this promise to Abraham. And when we, when we get into chapter 16, we're going to find three characters here, and that's Sarai, Abram, and Hagar. And I'm going to read from chapter 16. It's going to be behind me on the screen, so just follow along with me. It says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong that I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarah mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hands against him. And he will live in hostility towards all of his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. 
We're going to unpack this in a minute, but I just want you to, to pray with me for a second. Lord, we are so thankful for you, God. God, how awesome it is that we can celebrate moms today, that we celebrate the influence that women carry. And I thank you, God, that you love women, that you empower women, that you call women. And Lord, I thank you for today. God, in, in humility and desperation, we need to see you today. And God, in this chapter, I believe that we can be found somewhere, and God, you are found somewhere in it. So God, I pray that you would open our hearts right now, that we would see you better, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So when we, when we read this chapter, there's a lot of things that you're going to find, right? So Sarah, at this point, she's barren, right? She's struggling with infertility. She can't have a baby. And because of that hurt, she kind of starts manipulating the situation. She manipulates the promise of God. We see that there's abuse, there's insecurity, there's jealousy. There's all kinds of stuff going on in this house. And what I want to acknowledge this morning before we move on, when you read a chapter like chapter 16, um, there's a couple of things that I just want to point out. And for some of you, you might be new to church. Maybe this is your very first time in one. And if that's the case, we're so glad that you're here. Or maybe you're new to the faith. You're just now starting to believe in the Lord and you're learning about who he is. Or maybe you're just now starting to read the word and you're getting into it. And that's awesome. You're in a process. But what I want to point out is that sometimes when we read things in the Bible, we can adopt this posture and this attitude that if it's in the Bible, then God must approve of it. And here's the problem as we get to chapter 16, and there's a lot of things that are happening, right? There's abuse, there's slavery, there's all kinds of things. And what I want to make sure that you understand very clearly is that we do believe that God inspired the biblical authors to write this. And not only to write it, but to be honest about what's in it. But here's the deal. It's not because God approves of what's happening. It's because what he is showing us that in spite of how bad the situation can be, and despite how bad people can be, that he is still working out his promises that sin will not be too big of an obstacle for him to do what he has promised to do. And so that's where we find ourselves. And when you're looking at this passage, there's so much that we could unpack here. We could really stay here for a long time because we could look at sin and the consequences of it, right? We could look at how fickle we are as humans. We could look at how Abraham and Sarah are God's chosen people. And yet in this situation, they're not really acting godly. But what we find here more than anything, what I notice is that there is a mess in the house, right? All the women know that. They understand that. And maybe turn to your neighbor and tell them, listen, there's a mess in the house. Tell your neighbor, there's a mess in the house. And this mess that we find in the house is a mess that these three people have created. They have created the mess that they are in. They are directly responsible for it. But what we're going to see and how awesome God is, is that in, his, in God and his goodness and his grace, he meets us right in the middle of our mess. And this morning, I'm going to be focusing on this woman named Hagar. And the reason why I want to focus on her is because she has this encounter with God. And what I find to be so interesting is that Hagar in this story, she is the least expected and the least respected person in this story. And yet this is who God chooses to, to appear to. And when we see Hagar, we see that she's running away, she's fleeing, she's in the desert, she's running from abuse, she's in fear, she's alone, and she's hurting. 
And I also want to tell you at this point, you know, when we're reading, it says, you might have noticed it, it says, and the angel of the Lord appeared to her. Now, a lot of scholars and biblical and people who study the Bible, they actually believe that any time in the Old Testament that there is an appearance of the angel of the Lord that is quite possible and even likely that this is, this is actually an appearance of Jesus before he comes on the scene in the New Testament. That this is him showing up and he's foreshadowing how he's going to come. And I love that God shows himself to, to Hagar. And I think it's important that when, when God shows up, it's never so that they could see him physically. God didn't show up to Hagar so that he, she could get a picture of what he looked like. He showed up to Hagar because he wanted her to know what he was like. And today when we read this passage, what we're going to pull out is we want to know the nature of God, who he is. And I believe that in this encounter with her, he shows us who he is. Because how many of you guys know we need to know who he is? That's what we're all on this journey about. We're, we we want to know more about this God that we serve. We want to know what he's like and what he thinks about us. And that is what we're going to find today. So there are a few things that we're going to learn that we, some qualities and characteristics about who God is by looking at this encounter of him and Hagar. And one of the first points that I want to make here is that he finds you when you are lost. We serve a God who finds you when you're lost. You know, by every definition of the word, Hagar is lost. She is not in a place where she belongs. In fact, she is in the place where she has been bought because we know that she is a slave and we're not quite sure how she even ended up in this household. As I mentioned earlier in some previous chapters, we learned that Abraham and Sarah, they go down into Egypt because there's a famine and there ends up becoming some drama because of Abraham and where he has some drama with the Pharaoh and the Pharaoh starts giving him stuff. And some of the things listed are male and female servants. So it's very, it's quite possible that this is how Hagar entered into his home. And yet here she is. And from the very first appearance of Hagar, you could, you could see that everything is stacked against her. The odds are stacked against her because she is a woman living in a male-controlled society, so strike one. She is with people who will become God's chosen people. She is with people who will become the Jews, and yet she is an Egyptian. She is a Gentile, so she doesn't belong. And then in a house of free people, she is a slave. So it seems like everything is going wrong for her, Right? And by all accounts, that she is lost and she doesn't belong. And yet, this is who God reveals himself to. In verse 7, it says, The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. I think it's interesting that, that God finds her because one of the greatest characteristics of God is that he's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He knows everything. And so it's interesting that this is here, that he found her because he can't technically lose her because he already knows where she is. But I think this is here because the Lord is going to an extra effort to seek her out so that she can find him. And what God is showing us is that he is the initiator in our relationship with him. You are not seeking God more than he is seeking you. He loves you and he wants to be found by you. And the only reason why I found God is because he found me first. He is a God who finds us when we're lost. And it's important to know what Hagar's name actually means because, you know, in, in, the, Bible, in the Bible, names have a huge significance. The name Hagar translated means stranger or outsider. And what a beautiful story that here we see God seeking the outsider and the stranger. And what this is, is a foreshadowing of Jesus coming to earth. You know, in G Jesus, in his, he, he describes his own ministry in Luke 19 and 10, when he says, the Son of God came to seek and to save the lost. This is what he was about. 
And he didn't just say it, Jesus lived it. Because when we see him in the gospels on the earth, he was going after the lost and the broken and the hurting. That is who he was after. And this story is, is foreshadowing Christ and his ministry. And maybe today you're sitting here and you're thinking, I don't really know. I don't know that God would be looking for me because I don't feel like maybe I'm God's type, that he would actually come and look for me. And there's so many lies that we can believe. And, and what I want to say is that that's so not true. You cannot not be his type. He actually created you. In Psalm 139, it says that he knit you together in your mother's womb. He knew every single day before you'd live one. He, he knit you. He created you. So, of course, you're his type. You're exactly who he's looking for. And some of you need to hear that you are not too lost for God to find you. You know, in that story I told about my mom, and I know it was funny, you know, like me getting lost in Montgomery Ward. And, but I just want you to think about, because it's funny now, but when you're in the moment and you're the mom and you've lost a child, what is actually happening in your head? It's panic, right? You're not thinking about the Easter dress you need to buy. You're not thinking about all the things. You are thinking about the child that is not there. And that is how God feels when he sees you. He is all about you. And in fact, Jesus, in multiple times in, in the New Testament, he tells these stories about how he's like a shepherd who leaves the 99 for the one. That's, that's what he's like, that he's seeking you out. So I want you to know that this morning, that God, he, want, he wants you to find him. He's seeking you out. And right after God finds Hagar in the desert, he immediately asks her two questions, which leads to my next point, the next characteristic of who God is, and that he is a God who wants to talk to you. God asks her two questions, and he says, where have you come from, and where are you going? It's very interesting, because we've already established this idea that God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. He already knows the answers to the question, and yet he asks them. And I think what this is trying to teach us is that God is constantly trying to bring us into a dialogue with him. Because in dialogue, we begin to have a conversation, and conversation builds honest. We're honest, and it builds trust, because what he is after is a relationship with you. He wants a relationship with you where he can talk to you and you talk to him. He wants you to be completely honest. And God knows that if we talk long enough, our hearts eventually will be revealed, right? In Matthew 15, 18, Jesus says the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. There's something very important about the questions he's asking her because what he wants to know is he wants her to be honest about where she's at. And Hagar's response to God is, I'm running away from my mistress. I'm running and in a moment, she is transparent and she's honest about what's happening. I am running away. I feel desperate. I feel like there's no hope for me and I am running. And in this moment, God begins to talk to her and he begins to speak promise over her. And maybe today you're sitting in here and you're thinking, you know, I've been trying to talk to God. I really have. And I feel like I can't hear him. He just doesn't want to talk to me. And if I'm really honest with you, I've been here on more than one occasion. In fact, not too long ago, I had been praying about something and I was telling some people in my life, it feels like I am sending text messages to God and he's just not responding, but I can see the red messages. That's sometimes how it can feel like if we're really honest. But what I want you to know is that God is a communicating God. He doesn't cease conversation with us. So if we can't hear him, there's a block there. And this block can come in many different ways. You know, for some of us, maybe there's some sin there. Maybe there's a level of unforgiveness or something that you're carrying that's keeping you from hearing his voice. Or maybe for some of us, we're too distracted. 
You know, we, a conversation would imp- imply that you would speak and that someone would speak back to you. And oftentimes we approach our prayer lives where we just want to tell God a bunch of stuff and then we're on our way. And we want to know why he doesn't talk to us. It's because we're not giving him space to speak back to us. Or maybe for some of you, you have put hearing God in a box and for you it can only happen a certain way. I know for me, when I look at this passage, I think, well, it's easy for Hagar to talk to God. She saw him face to face. I'd talk to him too if he was standing there, you know? We can think that. But you know, God wants to talk to us. And not only that, because he's created you so uniquely, the way he even talks to you is unique. And for most of us, this is how God is going to talk. You know, I graduated with a degree in communications, and one of the first things they tell you is, hey, when you're talking to people, 90% of what you're saying is nonverbal to people. And sometimes that's like what it is with God. 90% of what he's saying to us, maybe we're not hearing his voice, but he's speaking. And most of the time it looks like his word. It's the reason why we tell people, hey, be in the word of God. You need to read the Bible because we believe that the Bible is living and active. And and through it, he wants to talk to you. He's actually trying to tell you stuff. He's trying to tell you how to have wisdom in a situation. He's trying to tell you what he thinks about things. Second way, sometimes he inspires our thoughts. How many of you have ever been in a situation where you know you need to hear from God? You, you need to figure something out. There's something that needs to happen, and you have no idea how you're going to do it. And all of a sudden, a thought pops up, and you know that has to be God because you couldn't have come up with that yourself. Sometimes he does that. Sometimes he inspires our thoughts. Sometimes he uses other people. This is why we talk about being in community with people. It's why we push connect groups. We believe life is best done in community with others, and oftentimes God speaks to us through to us through other people. Sometimes he speaks to us through the situations that we're going through, bad, good. He's trying to talk to us about it. And sometimes he even speaks to us in silence because sometimes in silence, what God is communicating is that he wants us to surrender and to trust him and give him control. But in all of these ways, God is talking to you. He wants to talk to you. The third characteristic and quality that we can see of God in this passage is that he is a God who sees you. He sees you. And we saw that in that that video, right? He's the God who sees. And if you notice in this story, Abraham and Sarah, when they're talking to each other, they never even really call Hagar by her name. They talk about her as the slave, the slave you gave to me. And because they're trying to make this promise of God happen in their lives, what happens is, is Hagar becomes a means to an end. She's not even a person. She becomes faceless and nameless, and she becomes invisible to them. And when we're reading the story, we don't even really know if Hagar had any say in what happened to her. We don't even know that. We can't really say that, you know. But what we do know is that she's a slave girl given his property, that she's been forced to get pregnant, she's been treated harshly, and now she's on the run. But God finds Hagar, he enters into a conversation with her, and when he talks to her, the things he says to her is that he speaks directly to her, he calls her by name. So no longer is she nameless. He says, you are the servant of Sarah. So he says, I know where you work and I know who you work for. And what God is doing is he's letting her know, I see you. I have seen every part of your story. You feel, you feel so invisible and yet I see you. And in a moment, Hagar goes from being completely anonymous to being fully and intimately known by God, because that's what happens when we encounter a God who sees us. In fact, in verse 13, it says that she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. You know, the actual Hebrew name she gives God here is called is El Royi, which is the God who sees me. 
And for some of us, maybe when you even hear the God who sees me, that kind of freaks you out because the picture you have in your mind is a God who sits up there and he's looking and he's waiting for you to make a mistake. He's writing everything down and he's just waiting to judge you. But what's interesting is the name El Royi, when you when translated in the Hebrew, it actually is very similar to the Hebrew word for shepherd. And in Psalm 23, David writes about God. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters and he refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. And this Hebrew name that God gives, that, that Hagar gives God, really means shepherd. That he's, he looks at us with compassion and love. And what he wants is he wants to guide us. That's his goal. And you know, whatever situation you find yourself in today, I just want to say that God sees you. And this week as I was preparing to come up here, I just um, was praying for all the women sitting in this room, all the moms and all the women. And I just, you know, praying that God would meet you wherever, wherever you were. And I just, um, I was making a list because I wanted to be really specific in my prayers. And so I made this list of some of the women that I was praying for, not a list of names, but just situations. I really felt like God had impressed on my heart. And so I wanted to share some of them with you, if you don't mind. This is what I've been praying for in my week. I, I've been praying for the woman who questions how God could even want her, the widow who has lost the dream of a future, the empty nester who is dealing with her purpose, the single woman who is waiting for the promise of God in marriage and motherhood, the busy mom who feels exhausted, overwhelmed, and completely invisible, the woman who is grieving the loss of her own mother, the mom who feels like she is constantly dealing with the lie that she's messing her kids up, the mom who is in agony for a child that they've lost touch with, the mom who has lost a child and feels the depths of grief, the woman who is mentoring but constantly feels unqualified, the woman who feels that no one could ever love her if they really knew her, the woman who feels shame because of some of the mistakes that you've made in your past, the woman who is a caretaker and feels constantly guilty, the single mom who feels alone, the woman who is dealing with infertility and you're wondering how much longer you can endure this painful journey. The woman who is dealing with depression, anxiety, and fear. The woman who is experiencing heartbreak and devastation. The woman who feels insignificant and unimportant. The woman who feels alone and isolated. And the woman who has had the thought on more than one occasion that if I disappeared, no one would notice. And what I want to say to you in every situation that God sees you. He has not forgotten about you. He has not overlooked you. Your time hasn't expired. He hasn't moved on and he is not punishing you. He sees you and he has eyes of love and compassion for you. He cares about you. And maybe God hasn't entered into your situation and fixed it like you thought he should or he was going to. But today what God wants to say is he is the God who will enter into the situation with you so that you will not be alone because he sees you. He sees you. And the last point that I want to make about the character of God and what we find in this story is that he is a God who wants you to encounter him. You know, God, when he's talking to Hagar, he asks her the two questions and notice the direction that he sends her back, that he sends to her. He, he, when, when he asks her, where are you going? Where, where have you come from and where are you going? The direction that God sends her is back. In fact, he tells her to go back to your mistress and submit to her. 
And I don't know about you, but I had a question that was, why would God send her back into that situation? She's being abused. She's being mistreated. Why would he send her back? And this is not, God is not sending her back so that she can be abused. It's not what's happening. Number one, God is sending Hagar back because she, like practically, she's going to die where she's at. She's a pregnant woman alone with no food and no water, and she's in the desert. She is going to die. So he sends her back so that she can have life. And the second reason why he's sending her back is because she needs to go back in order to obtain the blessing of God on her life through Ishmael. And notice Hagar's response. Is she's not protesting what God's asking her to do. It's not like he's saying, hey, I need you to go back. And she's like, please, God, don't make me do that. Don't make me do that. In fact, Hagar's response is really that she goes back. And what this tells me is this face-to-face encounter with God gives her confidence and trust to obey God that she can go back, that she can trust him and rely on him. Because once you have been seen by God and once you have been found by him, you do not go back to where you came from the same Hagar's identity is changed in this exchange. She goes from being Hagar, the outsider, the stranger, to being Hagar who says, I have seen the one who sees me. And for many of you, maybe today, you find yourself in a place where you're not really encountering God. For some of us, and if I'm honest, I could raise my hand about this. For many of us, what happens is we settle for knowledge of God without ever experiencing him. And if we're not careful and we're living this Christian life, what can happen is we go to church, we do all the right things, we listen to sermons and podcasts, and we have a Pinterest inspirational board, and we're doing all these things, and we just feel so inspired, but we're actually not being changed. God wants to change who you are, because when we read the word, it says that we can be transformed. We don't read it so we can get inspired. We read it so that we can be different. We become more like him. And, you know, this is where I was. You know, I was 18 years old, and my, my dad got diagnosed with cancer, and it was a late-stage form of cancer. And I had grown up in church my whole life. I knew a lot about God. I could tell you all the stories. I, could, I would be the first to raise my hand in Sunday school classroom. I knew, I knew all the things about him. I knew a lot about him. And what happened is when at 18 years old, when my dad got sick and he passed away, what happened is I ran into this issue that it's not enough to just know about him. That I actually needed to know him. I needed to do the work of wrestling with him and getting to know what he was like and that he loved me. And maybe today that's, that's what you're thinking. And for many of us, we're carrying around a lot of baggage in life, right? Sin, emotional pain, rejection, disappointment, trauma. We're carrying this thing, these things with us. And God's desire is that we would encounter him because when we encounter him, first of all, we find freedom. He changes our identity. He changes who we are. And then he gives us purpose. And this is why God is encountering Hagar. And I believe that there are women and men sitting in this room, and God has called you to mentor the next generation. And I want you to know that if you're sitting in this room, you have purpose. You're not too old for God to use you. That God doesn't come in and he doesn't change you and make you different and change your identity so that you can just sit there and just live a good life. When he comes in and he does things like that, it's always so that we could tell others about what he's done. And many of us, were, we're sitting and we're waiting because, number one, we think God would never use us or because we've actually never experienced God ourselves. 
And let me say this, I've worked with youth for a long time, and currently I lead a young adult connect group. And what I can tell you about the next generation is that they want to know about the God you serve, but they do not want your token scriptures and your perfect stories. They want to know that you have encountered a God who is faithful in every situation. When I am with people who say, you know what, things are hard, and I don't understand what's happening in this situation, but I'm choosing to trust him, that is what makes me feel like, okay, like I can do this. Like I, I want to get to know more about him. And that's what the generation that's coming along, they need to hear that from us. But it begins with us living a life of encountering God every single day of us doing the hard work of looking at the scriptures and letting it change us and being honest with ourselves about how we're not there, but God, he can change us, right? And as I'm getting ready to close, I want you to stand with me you'll just stand up. And as I close, you know, in the story of Hagar, there's actually no clear resolve. We don't really have like this, like it's not tied up in this pretty little bow. And we do know that Hagar ends up going back to Abraham and Sarah's household, but we don't really know what happens. But five chapters later, we see Hagar again. And when we pick back up with her in chapter 21, we haven't seen her in a while. And there's a couple of things that have happened at this point. Sarah and her mistress in her old age has had a child, Isaac, because God is the God who keeps his promises. And one day when Isaac is weaned, and scholars believe that he would have been about three at this point, Abraham throws a feast for Isaac. And in the scriptures, it says that Sarah, she's at this feast and she sees Ishmael, Hagar's child, across the way. And it says that Ishmael was mocking and some translations is laughing. Well, he was 13, right? That's what happens. <laughs> and in a moment of jealousy, she goes to Abraham and she says, I want you to send Hagar and Ishmael away. I do not want my son to have to share his inheritance. So tell him to go. You're going to send him away. And Abraham, he's, he's kind of devastated by this because at this point, he's lived with Ishmael for 13 years. He loves him. That's his son. But God confirms to Abraham, do as Sarah's telling you. Let her, let her go. So Abraham gives her a little bit of water and a little bit of food, and she sends, he sends Hagar and Ishmael away. And when we see Hagar in chapter 21, she's wandering in the desert again. We find her again where she was. And the food and water are gone, and she's desperate. And it says that she put Ishmael under a bush, and she walks away a little distance. And she says, I cannot bear to watch my son die like this. And in verse, 20, in verse 16, it actually says that Hagar began to sob. And here we see Hagar, this woman who five chapters ago, 13 years previously, has had this face-to-face -face encounter with God where our identities changed. She's a new person. She goes back. And instead of crying out to the God that she's encountered, she just cries. And my question, and maybe your question is, is how did Hagar forget? How could she have forgotten this God who loved her and the fact that she had seen the God who seed her, saw her? And, and, but you know what? That's actually what, for all of us, that's what time and pain and disappointment can do. It can cause us to forget God, and it could cause us to think that he's never going to come through on his promises. And instead of crying out to God, sometimes we just cry. But the beautiful thing that God reveals to Hagar in this moment and one of the greatest things about him is he is the God who keeps his promises. 
in verses 17 and 20, he says to her, he said, God heard the boy crying and the angel of God called out to Hagar from heaven. And he said to her, what is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was faithful to the boy as he grew up and he lived in the desert and he became an archer. And here in the desert again, Hagar, she does not cry out to God because at this point she is, she's so broken and she thought, I mean, how could this happen? And so she begins to cry and God comes to her and he says, I have promised that your son will be, have a ton of descendants and here I am. I've come to meet you and tell you that I make good on my promises. And you know, in the story of Hagar, we saw that there are many characteristics about God in this story, right? But some, but we have to find ourselves in this story too. Maybe this morning you're sitting here and you feel far from God. Maybe you've never asked him into your heart. God is waiting for you. He is looking for you. And in fact, you are in this room today because he wants to be found by you. And, you know, the scripture says that he just stands at the door of our, our heart and he just knocks. And all we have to do is just ask him to come in and that's what he's going to do. So for some of you, you feel lost. Maybe some of you, you're sitting in this room and you're like, it's been a long time since I've actually heard from God. And you have believed a lie that he doesn't want to talk to you. And it's affected your relationship with him. You feel like you're doing all these things for him and you can't even hear from him. And what I want you to know today is that God wants to talk to you. He is a communicating God. Maybe some of you, you're walking through some really hard situations today and you feel invisible and you feel like nobody cares and nobody would understand. What you need to know today is that God sees you. And for some of you, we've gotten so lax in our relationship with God that we have settled for looking good over being good. And today God wants to encounter you. He wants you to encounter him, the God who sees. And he wants to give you a new identity. He wants to give you a purpose. Or maybe you're standing here and you're just like Hagar. It's been 13 years or it's been a long time since you've heard from God and he gave you a promise and yet you haven't seen it happen. And you're, you feel like you're in the same spot that you've always been in. And you've been waiting and you've been hoping and you feel desperate. God is the God who keeps his promise. If he has made a promise to you, he is the promise keeping God. And you need to be reminded of that today. So we're going to pray. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And if today you found yourself in this story, I just want you to raise your hand. I'm not going to make you come down here. I just want to know who I'm praying for today. Today you found yourself in this story. You feel like God doesn't see you. You feel too far from him. Well, I want you to know today that God loves you. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for every person sitting in this room. God, I thank you that you are the God who seeks us, that God, you want to be found by us. God, I thank you that we are not too far from you, Jesus. So God, today I pray that some of us, that we would ask you to come into our hearts for the very first time, that you would live in us, God. And Lord, for some of us, God, we haven't heard you in a really long time and we need to hear from you. God, I pray that you would speak to us, Lord. And God, maybe for some of us in here, we don't feel seen. We feel so alone and so invisible. This pain that we're carrying is too much. And it honestly, we have struggled with feeling like if I wasn't here, nobody would even care about me. 
and you have struggled with thoughts of suicide and depression, that it would be better to end your life. God, I pray that they would know that you see them, that they have purpose, that you're working on their behalf even when they can't see it, that you are a God who sees them and you enter into our situation, you enter into our mess. And God, you so that we're not alone, that you're with us and you walk it out with us. God, maybe some of us in here, God, we, we've spent a long time since we've really encountered you. We've really experienced you, and maybe we've settled in some places. God, I pray that we would live a life of encountering you every single day. I pray that as they read their Bibles, that, God, it would jump off the page. It would be life, and it would be refreshing. God, I pray that they would do the work to read your word and then try to figure out what that means. And, God, I pray that in that you are faithful, that we don't have to figure it out, God, but you come and you show us. And God, I pray, Lord, for those of us who are sitting here, and God, we have been waiting on the promise of you. And it feels like they don't even know if you're going to come through. God, I pray today that they would know that you are the God of the promise. God, as we sang earlier, that you never let us down, that you're good, you're a good father. And Lord, I thank you for all the women that are sitting in this room. I thank you that you've given them a heart to nurture the next generation. God, I pray every mom in this room, every woman would know, God, that you are the empowerer of women. God, that you love them. And God, I pray as they go back, Lord, to, to motherhood and the busyness of life, I pray in those sweet moments that they would sense the very nearness of you to them. And we just thank you so much, God. I thank you that when we meet you, we are changed. So thank you today. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.